0: I'm
1: Emma, and I'm Colin, and this is Frederick Uncut,
2: where we talk about what you're curious about across the county with a new episode every week.
1: This week, legislative session starts on Wednesday in Maryland. Delegate Carol Krim, chair of the Frederick County Delegation, gives us a preview of her priorities and expectations for the coming months in Annapolis. Be sure to subscribe to the FNP Politics podcast for weekly updates throughout session.
2: So we're here with Delegate Krim. How are you?
0: Oh, fine. How are you?
2: Well, I'm. I'm doing okay. Uh, Emma, how are doing you? Doing great. That's good. We we should tell everybody too uh, that we are taping this on Thursday. Uh, this com- this will be out on Tuesday, so we might have a couple questions that by the time Tuesday comes, things could be a little different. But and something along those lines, actually, we wanted to start out with was just a question about your mindset going into the session this year and how how you are preparing.
0: So this session is the first session of a new term which is always exciting we have uh, new people coming in as delegates and senators Uh, some of the new senators were delegates so now i have all these allies on the other side of the chamber that uh, i knew as delegates and now they are senators so i'm looking forward to working with them Uh, and also now i'm the new delegation chairwoman and uh, that gives me an opportunity uh, to lead the delegation in perhaps uh, in a direction that we've not been led before. So uh, four years ago, when Frederick County changed to a charter government, uh, the role of the delegation changed also somewhat. Uh, so prior to the county uh, being uh, a charter government county, there were a lot of issues uh, that had to come before the delegation and ultimately be passed by the legislature for county government. But once we became a charter county, that no longer was the case. there was very few things that that have to come before the delegation for county government. We still have to do uh... the liquor bills um, and we will have a list of those to consider the first week of session uh... as a delegation uh... but other than that uh... the uh... the county executive does not have a specific uh... specific bills that she has in her legislative package she has um, things such as uh... improving route fifteen uh... transportation wise Uh, We are going to be working on the next generation 911 system at the state level that she has prioritized. But specific legislation she doesn't have because we don't need to do those things anymore at the state level. Mm -hmm. So I would like the delegation then to come together and advocate as as a unit on things we do agree on and there are there are a few things that we definitely agree on and one thing would be on uh, opioid uh, issues uh, prevention uh, how can we get more resources to the county uh, for that topic Um, we had a meeting with the city uh, government this morning the delegation did and, you know, one thing that is clear is that we're all on the same page regarding improving Route 15 uh, through the county and specifically through the city, that uh, three-mile section of roadway that is congested in both, both ways, north and south, at both uh, peak times. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's another roadway in the state that has that distinction, if you want to call it a distinction, because, you know, usually you get uh, like 270 going south Mm -hmm. in the morning, congested, but going north, not so much, but not in Frederick, in Frederick, both directions are congested. So uh, at, at both times, both peak hours in the morning and the evening, the peak times start earlier. So what I think that we need to do as a delegation is to advocate uh, as a group, and I think we're stronger when when we do that.
2: Are there things that you know going in that you will disagree on? Because you talked about things you know you do agree on.
0: Mm. Uh, hmm. I I don't know. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm not inclined to go in that direction mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. I don't go in the negative direction. I mostly go in the positive direction. But I also am a realist, so I know that we won't agree on everything. I mm-hmm. mean, that's just a given. Yeah. Uh, because every bill that comes up in the legislature, usually there is some opposition. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, things are passed unanimously and probably happens more often than what people think. Mm-hmm. But because um, my bills, I've had bills uh, that have passed unanimously. Um, so anytime that you have these bills that uh, are recognized in good government and not controversial, they will be passed unanimously. But I'm I'm pretty sure that there will be things that that we disagree on. Uh, but I'm going to focus on what we agree on and advocate uh, as a group and and be strong for Frederick County because. We are a growth county in the state. Um, we, as, as a county, need to convey that to the rest of the state and make sure they understand that uh, we're, we're the, the next uh, county that, that's going to be providing uh, revenue and resources to the state and jobs. Uh, we can do that here. Uh, There are some counties in the state that don't have those opportunities, but uh, we do here in Frederick County, and we need to make sure our colleagues understand that, and that when we ask for resources is for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, you
1: mentioned earlier we are going to be seeing a few new faces. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you kind of expect? We've got um, Kerr, and we've got Cox, we've got Pippi. What can we Mm -hmm. expect from them, and what kind of shift are you kind of anticipating?
0: Well, I've talked to all of them. And I'm very uh, encouraged by uh, our conversations as to what I have just talked about, about working together. And uh, I've, I've heard them speak in delegation meetings already. And I'm very impressed with their knowledge of the issues and their willingness to work uh, in collaboration with the rest of the delegation. So I'm really looking forward uh, to uh, their, their work with all of us. In fact, this morning, uh, when we were talking with the city government, uh, the opioid uh, issue came up, and uh, Delegate-elect Cox mentioned, he said, you know, you have, we have two people on our delegation that will be in the Judiciary Committee, and two delegates, um, Delegate Lewis Young and Delegate Kerr, like her, who will be on health and government operations, so it's a it's a perfect scenario to collaborate to see what they can do in concert with one another to um, to make that a a better scenario for Frederick County in the in terms of opioid prevention.
2: You talked about opioids now a couple times in this in this mm-hmm. talk. Uh, would you consider opioids to be the biggest issue on the table that you are confronting?
0: I think uh, it is one of the biggest. Uh, okay. I know that across the state, it continues to be uh, a big issue in all communities. So um, we, we do have to focus our resources and work with our local health departments and local county governments and local sheriff and local police departments uh, to see what we can do uh, to um, to to start uh, start the uh, the direction mm-hmm. of opioids in uh, in a negative way, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, it doesn't increase anymore, to level it off, and then uh, make sure people mm-hmm. who need treatment get treatment. In the past, that's been a big issue. There's not been enough treatment facilities enough beds so I know the county executive is trying to put in a a treatment facility here which is I think a a wonderful first step and uh, we're going to get that locally because you know when when people are ready when they are ready to make that change in their life you want to have that resource available to them so they can go and turn their lives around, and that's that's what we're looking for. Uh, we can't uh, forget education. Mm-hmm. Education is also another big issue. Um, I think we were all looking for us to have a big discussion this year on Kerwin. I think we will have those discussions. We will get updates in our committees on Kerwin, but uh, both the Senate President and the Speaker have said we're not going to. Uh, Start our funding of everything uh, for Kerwin now. Uh, That's going to be a phase in. We are going to do some of those those funding things this year, but uh, uh, that the phase in for Kerwin is going to occur over a a very long period of time. Well, that's a great yeah. yeah.
1: That's a great um, point (laughs) because as education reporter, I was. Ready to ask you, you know, what is going to happen with Kerwin. And for those who don't know who are listening, um, that was delayed a little bit. We were kind of expecting to get um, funding estimates and those maybe will be coming by uh, fall session 2019, you know, so. Um, that had been delayed, but a lot of the policy aspects of the Kerwin Commission were really um, laid out by that um, commission. So are there areas of the Kerwin Commission that, that speak to you as areas? I know early childhood education yes. is one that has really resonated with a lot. Is that one for you that you would want to start tackling first? Or is there a, a policy area that you're, you're specifically interested in tackling?
0: Well, the early childhood education is, of course, uh, very important because uh, we, we want to um, reduce that achievement gap. And uh, by the time kids get into the first couple years of school, they're already behind. So we want to make sure that we get that early childhood education as early as possible, because that can only uh, pay off later on in terms of maybe less money needed for remedial education. Um, We can't forget about the teachers. You know the teachers are looking uh, forward to these recommendations from Kerwin because uh, the way uh, Kerwin will work is that uh, teachers will be uh, designated as a profession and they will be paid as professionals, and um, but that's going to be expensive. Uh, but we're going to be asking our teachers to do a lot. Uh, it, when you uh, do research across the country, across the world, around the world, uh, everybody says you have to have good teachers in the classroom if you want a better results from your students. So. Um, Uh, we're going to be uh, trying to get the best and the brightest uh, people out there to be teachers, and uh, we're going to pay them better. Uh, We're going to put them on a track that they can advance in their profession while in the classroom. Many times, teachers have to move out of the classroom into administration in order to get a higher pay raise or, you know, more, more pay. But Hopefully, what we're going to do here is keep them in the classroom and give them more money as teachers in the classroom and not uh, make them move to administration to get a a higher pay grade. It sounds like some of those funding conversations will be more down the
1: road for Kerwin, but when you see those huge numbers, billions of dollars within 10 years, and it it will Mm -hmm. be phased, but I think you were on appropriations in 2015 are you still on i think yeah okay so what does that look like in terms of operational budget i mean i know you've said in the next 2 years it looks like it, it, the budget should be good but then we could potentially be looking at a deficit what role is kerwin in that and what kind of discussions are you having about that deficit yeah. that that could be well we did down put
0: put back 200 million dollars last year for mm-hmm. implementation of these recommendations. And from what I've seen, the recommendations that will be implemented this year are going to cost between three and 400 million. So I, I think that we're going to be able to get that done, because 200 million is, is already there mm-hmm. waiting uh, for that. Um, but I think that we're going to have to identify revenues. Absolutely, we're going to have to do that. And uh, we're going to have to uh, work on that as a committee and as a legislature and perhaps uh, identify new sources of revenues. Uh, you know, we've talked about sports betting. Um, that hasn't passed yet, but I know that's going to be on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, we can designate those revenues to, uh, to Kerwin. So um, there's other things out there that uh, we need to look at, like online sales and you know things, things like that that may generate revenue, and then uh, what are we going to do with that revenue except to invest it in our in our children and in our education system?
1: Are you anticipating having some of those difficult conversations about cuts, or is that already something that's kind of in the in cuts. the? Cuts? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's what we do on
0: appropriations. We do cut.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, what kind of difficult discussions are you maybe going to have to have about? We have what difficult needs discussions to, every year
0: on appropriations. about When you're cuts. looking at a potential deficit. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you have to look at uh, everything in terms, because all the policy committees pass. Legislation that create new policies, and usually new policies need new revenue. So, uh, policy committees uh, work in concert with the appropriations committee on uh, what they're going to want in terms of revenue, and then we have to find the money to uh, to fund it. And um, we'll uh, we'll continue those discussions. But we we do cut every year. We we cut the budget. Because maybe it's, it's wise now just to give a brief description on how budgeting works in the state of Maryland. It's a little different than uh, most states across the country. Uh, the governor of the state of Maryland is probably the most powerful governor in the country when it ter- in terms of budgeting. Because we can only cut the budget in the legislature. We can't add to it. So uh, when we want something funded, when we want a specific initiative funded, we pass legislation one year, and then we mandate the funding for the next year. Um, if the governor doesn't want to fund it, then we do what we call a BRFA. It's, a, it's an acronym for the Budget Reconciliation and Financing Act, where you look at things that are mandated funding, and then you cut those in the BRFA, because you have to balance the budget. That's a constitutional amendment in the state of Maryland. It's in the Constitution. We must balance the budget every year. You're never going to have a situation like you have at the federal government now in the state of Maryland, because that is unconstitutional. We can't leave Annapolis without a balanced budget every year and funding public education. Those are the two things that we're constitutionally mandated to do. So um, so all we can do is cut the budget. Now, we have a little bit more flexibility with the capital budget. We can add to the capital budget in, uh, in the legislature, but, uh, but that's on a limited basis. The governor mostly takes up uh, the majority of the funds designated for capital budgeting, but we do have some extra money there that we can add to the budget uh, on the capital side.
2: I'm glad you brought up the governor. Uh, we were kind of wondering about your relationship with the governor and what it's like to work with him. How, how do you anticipate that being this year?
0: Well, uh, last year, actually, um, I, I had the occasion to present to the governor um, a flag that was flown over the embassy in Afghanistan. Uh, my son was able to, uh, to get that for me. That was presented to the governor um, by... Uh, by me and and my family and i asked the veterans caucus to join me and we went to the governor's reception room and the governor uh... came over and the whole veterans caucus it was a very uh... moving affair because the uh, the statement that is on this flag that is encased uh... talks about how this flag was flown in uh, for freedom, uh, you know, in the face of military conflict. And uh, it, it it's just very moving words. So, uh, you know, he's my governor. I know we're not of the same party, but he's my governor as well as your governor, if you live in the state of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, and he's going to be there for four more years. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to work with the governor, and we will work with the governor uh, to... Uh, try to get our priorities funded.
2: You, you mentioned something, and this is kind of an aside, but you mentioned when you were talking about funding the, the prospect of sports gambling in Maryland, and just personally I was wondering if you think that that might get done this year.
0: Well, if it doesn't need to be on the ballot, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure whether it needs to be on the ballot or not, it may get done this year. The House actually passed it last year. Mm-hmm. It did not uh, get through the Senate. So on the house side, I think we're ready to to move it. Um, as long as it doesn't need on the ballot, it it could happen very quickly. Um, it could I know be a that lot of money. It it yeah. could <laughs> be. I don't know what's going on in other states. I haven't seen any mm-hmm. revenue estimates come in yet from the other states that have instituted it. So I would like to see that. And our analysts will have those figures when we get back to session on how it's going in other states and what we can anticipate here. But uh, uh, yes, it, it could be a good revenue source.
2: <laughs> I, that, that, I know. And I have one more question in, when it comes to specific bills, because we talked about this uh, over the past two years. We host a political podcast uh, also here, and it's called In Session. In Session's almost about to start. I have been very passionate about the left lane driving bill. Do you are you familiar with that? Oh
0: yes, so. I sat next to Delegate Folden for four years. Okay, <laughs> so I do know about that bill.
2: <laughs> and I was just wondering your your position on that. If you agree, because I, I voted for it. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I am steadfast, and all the slow drivers should move over. So,
0: well, you know, I just came back from New York. Uh, I visited family up there during the uh, the holidays, and uh, they have the move over bill mm. in other states. And you know. Um, You see signs on the road says, you know, uh, move o- You know, they have the move over law or whatever, and and you you do, and it's it's not a big deal. You yeah. know, it's not a big deal just to just to start doing it. And yeah. as practice, people people should just do it. They should.
2: <laughs> I agree. I agree okay. entirely. What do you think, Emma?
1: I don't know what I think. Oh, but yeah. this is, okay, but this is what I
0: don't like. I don't like if somebody is in the left lane. And you are passing somebody. Somebody will be right on your tail. That's Tailgating. True. Mm-hmm. I don't like that because... They may be thinking, "Oh, we're spo- they're supposed to be moved over," you know, but you're passing somebody at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. uh, I think when we talk about enforcing that law, we also should be enforcing the law about no tailgating That's because time. that bothers me a lot.
2: That bothers me too. Are you a tailgater, Emma?
0: oh Oh I, my gosh! I, don't,
2: I could see you being an accusation? aggressive, an aggressive driver.
1: <laughs> what? No,
2: I
0: don't know. Little me, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Do you think that, that that the left lane bill might go through this year finally?
0: I don't know. I mean, we'll have, to, we'll have to see if anybody brings it. I mean, okay. Delia Folden, Folden isn't there any that's, longer. Yeah, so true. we'll see if anybody picks it up and then uh, what will happen over in the Senate with it. Well, if you know. want
2: to elect me, I'll bring it up. Okay. Can, I'll, I'll be down. <laughs> you
0: can come down and testify for it. Okay, okay. I will do that. All right. So another
1: <laughs> point that our state reporter Samantha wanted me to ask about was about this Potomac pipeline. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I
0: I, I agree with uh, the comptroller. I mean, okay. there there was nothing there to benefit Maryland, and why should we jeopardize our water resources for something that has no mm-hmm. benefit for us? And you know, even the governor uh, supported the ban on fracking. So there was no reason, that's that's our policy now in the state of Maryland. That's our policy, you know, we don't support fracking. So any, any product from the fracking source, you know, I don't think we should uh, accommodate.
1: In this session, can you talk about what to expect from Governor Hogan in terms of vetoes? I, I think... Um, are kind of veto proof but yeah. you have to wait until next session i mean what can you expect what can we expect with
0: that i hmm. haven't really heard i know that the uh, that you know we do have disagreements there's no doubt about that but um uh, i don't know what what bills will be coming up that yeah. are controversial that uh the governor will will veto i mean he has to look at the numbers and know that especially in the house now we have i think we're up to 99 dems uh, which is we only need 85 to override a veto. Okay. So um, we got, you know, lots of wiggle mm-hmm. room there. So uh, and I uh, in the Senate, I think that they have, you know, the numbers too to override vetoes. Yes. Yeah. So kind of wondering why if if we pass it with veto-proof numbers, mm-hmm. you know, unless he feels very strongly and wants to make a statement, uh, then you know right. that that would be his prerogative. Right.
2: I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about a thing we did an entire episode on a few weeks ago which is redistricting and, oh, yeah. and the controversy surrounding all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wondering your personal opinion on where everything stands now because it seems like things are about to get fun.
0: Yeah. Well, um I mean, we're under a court order now to get that done. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, the attorney general has appealed that, but we are under a court order. So I think at some point this year, we will see uh, redistricting uh, for the 6th District. I think there's another district in the state of Maryland that's a little bit more gerrymander than uh, mm-hmm. than the 6th. But the court order was for the 6th District. So Do you support that? Do I support redistricting? Yes. I support an independent commission okay. for redistricting. And I've uh, been on uh, uh, co-sponsored bills in the past that have had a uh, commission uh, to establish uh, uh, the districts in the state of Maryland. Mm-hmm. So. Um,
2: you said you do think another district uh, should be looked at for redistricting?
0: Yeah, um, I I don't, I'm not sure about the number. Is it District 3, the one down there around, um, like it covers some of Anne Arundel's, some of mm-hmm. Prince George's, you know, it's just sort of all over the place down there. Uh, that's a that's a difficult district to represent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a difficult district to understand who your representative is because, you mm-hmm.
2: know. It could change. It
0: could change, <laughs> you're right. It's Right, so, uh, and you know, uh, as far as, the state of Maryland having to do District 6 this year? Yeah, I don't know whether I support that or not because 2020, you know, is going to be the census, and we're going to have to be doing redistricting anyhow at that mm-hmm. point. So I'm kind of wondering why are we going to all this effort for for right now to do this district when, you know, all of redistricting will be on the table uh, in a couple of years. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And then uh, to wrap up, I think I just had one more question. I don't know about you, Colin, but I had one more question for you. Um, Are we done? I think.
2: <sighs> well, not yet. You have one more question. After this um, one question.
1: <laughs> All right. And then you can wrap up if you have any other points. Unless if I have a question. (laughs) But I had one more question, which was we've been reading a lot nationally about women and Mm. um, coming out and running for office. And Mm -hmm. as um, a chair and a woman leading here in Frederick, we've only got two women on the delegation now. What do you see your role as kind of inspiring other women to maybe go for it and run for office themselves?
0: So... um, I am the first ever Democratic woman to chair this delegation. There's been other women who have chaired in the past, but I'm the first woman who is a Democrat to, uh, to chair this delegation. Uh, I'm also very uh, involved in the Women's Caucus. I'm first vice president of the Women's Caucus in the legislature. I co-chaired... The, um, the task force on sexual harassment last year. Uh, which turned into, uh, which our recommendations went to a task force that the leadership, the president, and the speaker put together to address sexual harassment, and that now they have made recommendations. I think we we did some very good work last year in regard to that issue in the legislature and protecting women on the job and making sure that they are safe there. We had testimony from... um, legislators, from lobbyists, from staff people who were all sexually harassed on the job in, in the legislature, pro se, in that, in that arena, let's say. And so we did make some specific recommendations. And I think the, uh, the task force uh, that the leadership put together had, uh, really uh, did a deep dive. And they're expanding uh, what they consider harassment. They, do, they went beyond just sexual harassment. They went into workplace harassment. So uh, that's, that's another issue also. But, uh, yes, women in uh, – I, I like dealing with women. I like dealing with men, too. But, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to uh, sit down and talk to the women at the Women's Caucus. And we do have some women's issues. I know men are interested in these things, too. But things like childcare, a lot of those issues like that, um, do and pay equity—that's definitely a woman's issue. Uh, those are the kinds of things that we want to push forward in the in the women's caucus. And we have the uh, celebration of the 19th Amendment coming up. I don't know if uh, if you're aware of that. That's, when when
2: is this celebration?
0: Uh, 2021 I believe 1921 was when it was passed Uh, and uh, I we do have a uh, not in the women's caucus but for the state of Maryland Mm -hmm. we do have a a celebration uh, commission in place Mm -hmm. so but that will be a big year for us in the women's caucus and I'm looking forward to that that's so So are we
2: so are we i have one last question because i would always ask this to our reporters who go to annapolis to report where is your favorite place to eat in annapolis (laughs) when you have to go out for lunch or anything like that where where, give us a recommendation
0: harry brown's is nice that's right in the if you're looking for something quick the the baked potato place, right, in the circle. You know, go in there and get, you know, loaded potato, get different uh, condiments that you can put in there. But, you know, I didn't have a chance to talk about any of my bills. (laughs) So um, so to wrap up, yeah, Yeah. we'd love to hear anything else you'd like to. Okay, so um, I am doing a bill for SHIP, which the Student uh, Homelessness Initiative Mm -hmm. Partnership, and uh, this has to do with a host home program for young people um, who, are, who are homeless. And uh, we need to address uh, two specific issues. One is uh, liability for the uh, people who would host the, uh, the homeless young person. And the other one is consent, to allow that um, uh, young person to consent to these resources, to using these resources. Okay. So there, those are two things. Um, another thing that I work on is broadband. I'm on the uh, statewide uh, broadband uh, commission task force for broadband in rural Maryland. And uh, one bill that I'll be doing that I uh, actually uh, worked with the speaker of Maine on because uh, they're also very interested in expanding broadband in Maine. And that had to do with um, uh, putting the infrastructure for broadband on telephone poles. This is not the same issue as the municipalities have. Uh, They want to maintain their local control on where 4G goes. This is something that would be on uh, telephone poles on top and the Public Service Commission would be able uh, to allow for that broadband infrastructure. Uh, that is very important to our students who live out in the rural areas because a lot of times they don't have the same opportunity through the internet as students uh, who live closer uh, into the city areas or the more, more urban centers. So uh, it's important. It's also important for people who want to work from home. Uh, there's a lot more of those opportunities out there. And to keep those people for off the roads, you know, we keep talking about congestion. We have to find different ways uh, for people to work without getting on the road and driving to work in a single, uh, as a single uh, driver in a car without any passengers. That's that's an issue. So those are those are two things I'm working on. Another thing that I'm going to start talking about and see if I can get some legislation on is regenerative agriculture, and that is a climate change issue because that would keep carbon out of the air. When the soil is tilled, it releases carbon into the air. There is a way to do that without uh, without that. So and that's called regenerative agriculture, and uh, I'm going to try to work with the Farm Bureau and the Soil Conservation Districts on that and see if we can incentivize a pilot program here in Frederick. I would really like to do that. That may not come to fruition this year, but maybe next year. Some of these things take a little while to, to work on and get through. But, I mean, if you're going to do a program like this, you have to have an incentive. So we have, if you have an incentive, you have to find money. So... <laughs>
1: I'm just curious, what areas of Frederick County would most benefit from the broadband? You were talking about... Rural.
0: So, you know, yes, the rural areas. Anywhere,
1: out, you know, that's a little further from the city. Yes, yes, because
0: um, one thing that we've learned in the, in the commission is that the last mile for the broadband is the hardest. Like, you could get okay. maybe broadband to a library in a community, but then after you leave that basic area where the library is then, you know, you you can't get the service. Okay. So uh, this would be a way maybe to be able to expand that service. Okay, great.
2: Well, that's all we have. That's all we have. Thank you so much for your time, Doug. Thank dog, you Clint. for coming Thank in. Thank you.
0: Okay. <laughs> it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> so, Colin, we're going to do a quick wrap-up session now, and it seemed like the comment that struck you most was regarding – tailgating (laughs) yeah what do you think about the upcoming session
2: i don't think people should tailgate um it'll be an interesting session she was you know we talked about there's there's a bunch of new people coming in i don't know how familiar you are with this you're fairly new to the area aren't you
1: right i am and i cover education so i was really excited to hear her comments about the kerwin commission because there was a point where we really weren't sure what all this work was going to mean and, and what it would become and we still kind of aren't but we do have a sense of what those we have a sense of what those policy recommendations are the cost recommendations it could take more time but
2: i thought it was interesting that they might take money from sports gambling and give it
1: to the sport yeah well and and we've got the lockbox funding which we'll see what comes of that
2: have you uh we did an episode on gerrymandering not too long ago did you uh Learn anything from that episode? Were you pumped to talk about gerrymandering? Well,
1: I thought it was interesting that Delegate Krim also brought up um, the point about 2020 and the census. Yes. um, Because that was something that our expert brought up as well. Yes. Um,
2: And so now it kind of makes people mad. But some people are not so mad. I don't know. Like with the 6th District, that's on the table. That has to get done right away, it seems. But as as Delegate Krim said, she believes there are other districts that need to be looked at as well.
1: Right, right. So we'll have to see. And it was interesting to hear her thoughts on uh, what's going to shift this year and um, looking at Kerr, a Democrat, who um, was able to flip that seat from um, Delegate Folden. No relation. No relation to me, yes. (laughs) I get that all the time because he was a Board of Education member, Mm -hmm. um, resigned his seat on December 19th, and now he's joining the delegation uh, this session, Mm -hmm. and we share the same last name.
2: I think that I know.
1: I <laughs> so I'm excited he's leaving the Board of Education. If only that I can dodge those questions. Okay. <laughs> I know our reporter, Samantha Hogan, struggles with the same thing. We've bonded over that.
2: Oh, because of Larry Hogan? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't I didn't know she gets those questions. Yes. And she seemed to be pretty optimistic. you know, one thing I, I liked about talking with Delegate Krim was her optimism. When I asked her what might be disagreed upon she said she doesn't want to think negatively so i thought that that was nice because there's there's a lot going on in politics right now that is pretty negative
1: right and i think she took a similar approach when, I, when we asked about vetoes um yeah. you know she's not anticipating and and she did kind of start to say you know she doesn't what is the point of a veto if you know that um that they've got the numbers to yeah. overturn that so we'll have to see what's to come we will and now we want to move to another segment, which is news.
2: This is great. This is how we're going to end every week.
1: Yep. We're going to end every new week year, with a question. New uncut. Right. And you know why we want to end with a question? Because we don't have all the answers. And as reporters, we tend to ask more questions than we answer. And that's the beauty of our job. So
2: you saying we're going to ask each other questions that we will not answer? No, we're going to
1: answer them. <laughs> but the, the theory behind the question is that we've done this whole episode and there's still a question, but yes. it's a question about us. It's not a question about no, of course. session. Yeah.
2: So we're going to, we're this vain. is going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is, if, <laughs> if podcasts aren't self-indulgent, <laughs> I don't know what they are. We're so. stars in our minds. On our own minds. It's definitely right. in this room.
1: So if you have a question for us and you can ask us anything, I mean, get as salacious as you want. Yes. Ask us anything. Um, you can email me. A-U-A. A U A Ask us <laughs> anything. The, the, the new version of the A-M-A. Um, you can shoot me an email at ecur at newspost.com or on Twitter. B-K-E-R-R. Yep. At mm-hmm. newspost.com or on Twitter at Emma R. Kerr.
2: And until we get responses, we're just going to keep making up questions. So you're going to to Yeah, have so our first us.
1: listener question, which I just did Dominic. quotations, comes from Dominic. <laughs> There's no Dominic. Out
2: in Rhode Island. No. We're, we're huge in Rhode Island.
1: <laughs> so our first question is, and Colin's going to h- go ahead and tackle this one first. Oh, good. Our first question is, what is one thing you would want to go back and tell your younger self? <sighs>
2: Um, you know, I've thought about this. I've thought about this a few times because I wonder. I, I and I went through a period in my life where I really thought that this would be my answer to a question like this: to do what we do in terms of working at a newspaper, being a journalist, being a writer, an editor, whatever. I don't know that I would go to college.
1: Whoa! I don't know
2: that I would. My answer
1: could not be more <laughs> opposite. <laughs>
2: Really? Yeah, I don't know that I would.
1: Because everything well, that I've if learned... if you guys don't know, Colin went to Slippery Rock. okay. Which <laughs>
2: sticks out in your mind.
1: Which sticks out in my <laughs> mind, because I went to Michigan, <laughs> and we always say the score of the slippery rock game at the big house
2: would you like to would you like to say the score i don't know the score oh i (laughs) thought you always said the score oh now she's gonna google it to to,
1: wait so why do you say that
2: to be in media uh and to be especially when it comes to newspapers you have to go do it like Mm -hmm. if you start in some professional capacity at the age of 15 or 16 maybe you do some (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the look There's on your no game p- right now <laughs> <laughs> uh when you do some uh, if you do some work professionally when you're younger you just need clips that's what you need you need professional experience and that's kind of how you get i know people who are way way qualified who have master's degrees and doctorates in journalism and communications and media and they don't and they, they've gone to much more prestigious schools than i have slippery rock and i, I it, You know, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of uh, learning on the job. And I think that this is a profession that calls for that.
1: I think your thought process behind that is really valid because (laughs) I studied English and um, international studies. I studied Arabic.
2: I didn't know that. Oh, I did know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and. Those things, I mean, an English major obviously involves a lot of reading and writing, which is my current job. So Mm -hmm. in that way, it's very applicable. But a lot of people are surprised that I never have taken a journalism course, really. So um, everything I learned, I learned just on the job. So I think that that point's really true for this industry. You learn a lot on the job. But I learned so much to college about... (laughs)
2: Gosh, I thought you life. were going to say I learned through much through Colin.
1: College. Mm, college. And Colin.
2: So what What would you change? What would you tell yourself, um, your younger self? I Which, just, I mean, at this point, your younger self is like, what, seven? Cause,
1: yeah. <laughs> what would I tell seven-year-old me? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, so younger me maybe would just be a couple years ago, but I think I would tell myself <laughs> that everything – works out whether you worry about it or not and I think when I was scrambling together to get internships if if any of you are in that place where it's about to be summer and you're a junior and you're you don't have an internship yet especially as a journalist but I think it's true for a lot of fields the pressure just feels so terrifying and awful but Everything ended up working out. <laughs> um, but
2: could you really believe if you gave yourself advice, oh, everything will work out, don't worry?
1: Yes, because it always has. You know, I think the you've longer you've had you anything live, in
2: your life that didn't work the
1: out, the more it had. Oh, I mean, it, it's not going to work out the way you wanted it to. Well, that's the definition. It's not going to work out the way that you exactly pictured it. It might not look how you thought it would look, but it will work out and it will be the right place for you. Like what's meant for you will be yours it's very it's a very zen that's very very zen and i need to learn
2: from that (laughs) i need to learn
1: and i believe it's true because i do you feel you should be working with the frederick
2: news post right now
1: yes i do and i feel like i should have i i feel like i really regret missing out on enjoying the experiences of my internships because i was so concerned with what my next internship was going to be what my next move was going to be so scared of how I was going to pay my rent in New York. like, And I should have just been enjoying that and working hard and creating stuff I was proud of. And what that's were, all you can do.
2: What were your internships?
1: I interned, well, the internship in New York, I interned at the Daily Beast and mm. worried, what was I going to do after that? moved to Chicago <laughs> and then <laughs> well, life ensued, you know. What
2: did you do in Chicago?
1: I in Chicago I was an associate editor at NBC Universal um for a true crime network.
2: What was the network called? Oxygen. ESPI? Oh, Oxygen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and not what I expected, but it worked out and then jumped to the Chronicle of Higher Education and here I am, education reporter and I'm really proud of that and should have spent more time enjoying well you can enjoy it now yeah well you're still young yeah i know st- that's what yeah. i'm saying my younger self myself two years ago <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: you're... well yes, thank you so much yes. for tuning in this week you guys we really really appreciate we've it we've got something
2: good for you next week we do what is it <laughs> we'll talk about it but we've got something good and be sure to stick around for the end when we get to ask ourselves questions that you guys email
1: us. Yep. So I'm Emma. He's Colin.
2: And we are out of time.